0: Coming up on Art Palace.
1: I think that there is also a little bit of a um, uh, bias sometimes uh, when we talk about people like uh, Miholi who are activists and also who are black. You know, there's this kind of assumption that maybe they should be kind of, you know, not really making that, that much money that, you know, making a lot of money is kind of the privilege of uh, of, white, of white artists.
0: Welcome to Art Palace, produced by Cincinnati Art Museum. This is your host, Russell Eyrig. Here at the Art Palace, we meet cool people and then talk to them about art. This is a special bonus episode that is a live recording of the panel discussion that occurred on March 1st, 2018, after a screening of Difficult Love, a documentary about South African photographer Zanelli Muholi. Associate Curator of Photography Nathaniel Stein moderated the discussion with Heal and Build co-director Alexander Shelton and University of Cincinnati Department of Women's, Gender, and Sexuality Studies professors Ashley Courier and Therese Migrant-Georges. If you'd like to watch Difficult Love, there is a link in the show description where you can watch it for free online. I did want to warn you that the audio is far from perfect in this episode i'm pretty sure the audience mic died during the q a so some of the questions are difficult to hear but i felt like a lot of these conversations were important and worth sharing even if they are not very polished
2: okay um, we are all hydrated and ready to talk, so let's, let's get started. I'll start just by introducing our, our guests tonight. So in the center here, we have Alexander Shelton. He's a native Cincinnatian and a parent to a six-year-old named Benjamin, who is with us tonight in the front row. Um, and if you are a listener of StoryCorps on NPR, you may recognize these folks and have, have heard some really wonderful uh, words about their lives. Um, At the University of Cincinnati, Shelton was a a student organizer and an activist involved in protests and consciousness raising following the shooting of Samuel DuBose. He is now a community organizer, a yoga facilitator, and a social entrepreneur. He advocates for the importance of positive coping strategies and mental health for young people, and for yoga as a means of building community from the inside out, um, creating spaces for people to come together and heal. He's the co-director of Heal and Build, which is a social enterprise that uses yoga, mindfulness and urban planning workshops to partner with community and community developers to create roadmaps for inclusive community redevelopment. Um, immediately to my right, Ashley Courier is a sociologist who studies lesbian, gay, bisexual and transgender organizing in Cote d'Ivoire, Liberia, Malawi, Namibia and South Africa. For her first book, Out in Africa, LGBT Organizing in Namibia and South Africa, which was published in 2012, she did research with Forum for the Empowerment of Women, a Black South African lesbian activist organization that Zanelli Moholi co-founded. She is assistant professor, assistant department, I'm sorry, associate professor, that is a very important distinction, as we all know, (laughs) I am not joking, (laughs) associate professor, assistant department head and graduate program director in the Department of Women's, Gender and Sexuality Studies at the University of Cincinnati. And to my far right, Therese Migraine-Georges is a scholar of African and Francophone literature, French and Francophone women writers and queer studies, as well as the author of two novels. Her scholarly publications include African Women and Representation from Performance to Politics, which was published in 2008, From Francophonie to World Literature in French, Ethics, Poetics, and Politics, which was published in 2013, and a book of essays, Mes Etats-Unis, Portrait d'une Amérique que vous ne connaissez pas, published in 2009. She has also published various articles and chapters on francophone writers, African literatures, cultures, and films, and queer studies. And for the purposes of the present discussion, I'll I'll note that I think four of these um, uh, pieces of of work or writing were collaborations with uh, Ashley that dealt with queer identity and experience in Africa. And uh, she is professor of romance literatures and romance languages and literatures and women's gender and sexuality studies at the University of Cincinnati. So thank you all three of you for joining us here tonight. And I'm sorry, as always, these are abbreviated biographies of many wonderful things everyone um, on this stage has done, but we, we would like to talk about the film also. So we will move on to that. I thought it might be good just to start by, you know, there's a, so much to say um, about that film and about Molly's um, work. Um, I thought I might just start by an opportunity, giving you an opportunity to to respond, in essence, and to say, you know, what what is going on for you when you watch this film, you know, in relation to the work that you have done, um, whether, you know, wh- how you might want to situate yourself in relation to, to the discussion that we're here to have, um, and Really, I don't want to impose upon any of you to begin. So if anyone feels motivated, we could. You, Ashley, would you like to start? or Is that okay? So I, except I did impose upon you to begin.
3: We have to start somewhere, right? Yes, we do. Um, so I, I have a, a fairly long history with uh, Moholy, um, just knowing her as an activist. And um, So what I appreciate in the film is the emphasis on love, I think, um, and the politics of love. Um, some of our early work especially faces and phases i mean is really about um featuring individuals but also lovers mm-hmm. um but i think that, that i mean there's been a, a transformation of her of our work that really shows her breath as a as an uh, activist and also an artist so that's i think for the in the film i appreciate that emphasis more on the politics
2: of love here mm-hmm. so i'm sorry, when you say the the politics of love. Can you can you talk to us a little bit about what you mean by that?
3: Um, I, I, I mean, really moving away from I think identity politics, mm-hmm. um, which are I mean intensely fraught in post-apartheid South Africa, but I think really emphasizing the the humanity, the love, the sexual desire, the sexual pleasure. Mm-hmm. that is, I mean, that brings people together. That's its own thinking. I mean, foregrounding that, I think, mm-hmm. um, in her work is what's really, um, I mean, important. Okay, yeah. I'm
2: sort of fastening onto that statement because as we, we had some conversation, or actually I shared some thoughts before before we got t- together tonight. And this is sort of connects to something that that caught my attention about the film, which um, was when Michael Stevenson, who's um, a Hollywood gallerist in South Africa, um, We're talking about the work and, and sort of trying to find um, a, a sort of very humanist, common way of looking at it, which is to say it's about love and it doesn't matter who's in the picture, which to me, I thought, oh, I think it quite does matter who's in the picture. <laughs> That's actually very, very important, who's in the picture, and the fact that um, desire between two black women is being depicted by another black woman who is also involved, you know, in, in that community and in that circuit of desire. And I think to take that out of the equation yeah. is a real loss mm-hmm. in terms of how we're thinking about the work. Mm-hmm. So, okay, thank you for getting us started mm-hmm. there, um, Alexander. Do you, do you want to say anything just to, to begin?
4: So, I think what I appreciated the most is the fact that the film and the work exists, um, because as we know, erasure is something that is rampant and the queer community and then the intersection of the black queer community. Um, and so then as this history is slowly being retold, it's interesting because um, when we first go through puberty, we go through puberty with everyone else, but then we start to notice that we're different. And so maybe we have that those um, parameters to test those boundaries and to ve- develop our identities, but often it comes much later in our lives. And so we experience a second puberty. And so, and then people experience their puberty. It depends on your layers of your identities. Um, so then to see it photographed, um, to see it depicted as as something joyous, even if the film is grainy all around. Um, I really like the juxtaposition of the work and. This barren desert, and you have, or this barren area, but you have these beautiful people, black people, um, that are unapologetic in their queerness. Um, That representation is is powerful.
2: You want to, if you if you feel like you do, want to speak to this. I think, you know, the question of erasure um, and uh, Maholi's constant attention to the idea of visibility, but also more than visibility, just the bare naked fact that. We exist um, I think is such an important part of um, the work um, and it, it prompts me to think about how does this or might this relate to what might be called a, you know, a, a queer archive or um, a body of a visual representation of queer people and queer black people in the United States and even in Cincinnati is that, is that do we suffer from the same um, vacant space where representation should be or you know, do we need this work also?
4: Yes, um, there are no um, black queer spaces um, in Cincinnati to my knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I love the Freedom Center um, going there. I feel most affirmed at the banks. Um, but then there is this deficit, there is this hole in history. Um, so when I did go to see her exhibit, I, this was a room that it intersected my identities. And so I felt most affirmed um, in this room full of beautiful portraits of um, black queer people. Mm-hmm. So yes, the space is important because we wouldn't have to go through a second or third puberty if we all had the boundaries or had the parameters to test and push our boundaries.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a really um, powerful aspect of the work in that it, although it is clearly so tied to the social context from which it comes, being South Africa, it speaks much more broadly than that, also, in, in a really important way. Thank you. Naz, do you want to up any comments?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, so I think I, I agree with uh, what, what, what has been said. I, I very much appreciate the documentary from uh, these different perspectives. And I think that one way um, uh, for me that what one uh, dimension of the documentary that I find particularly interesting, I think, is actually precisely the uh, the intersection between uh, politics and aesthetics, because um, in the especially in the in in the West, um, we've kind of traditionally been uh, separating them, mm-hmm. uh, and in Africa, uh, traditionally they haven't actually been. Um, separated. If you look at uh, traditional um, African art, for example, mm-hmm. pre-colonial African art, um, they have actual, you know, functions. Uh, they're used on a sometimes daily basis. You talk about masks, for example, certain objects. Um, and so I think to me when we try to separate uh, the two, especially um, in the context of Muholi's work, I think it actually does create uh, a little bit of a false dichotomy. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that obviously we cannot talk about you know, the kind of aesthetics of the politics of her work separately, but what personally I find um, even more productive is to see how they actually function together because uh, I, I agree with, um, with you that her photographs are absolutely stunning. They are mm-hmm. extremely sensuous. They're just, they're just kind of uh, works of, of art. At the same time, the, the, the kind of uh, social and political statements that she's making are also extremely significant. Mm-hmm. But I think it is precisely to me, because they kind of work together, that they are also so powerful. And one, um, one topic that I've always kind of uh, come back to in my, in my work is actually this question of representation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you think of representation, representation is... Uh, aesthetic representation, but it 's also you know political representation, so we kind of come back to this notion how how do we you know how do we represent ourselves um, in terms of identities uh, but 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 you know representing one's identity also means um, you know representing oneself on some kind of um, you know social political um, national uh, stage and right. so um so I think that, yeah, I think this is really something that to me, I'm, I'm, I feel pretty you know, passionate about in terms of, um, you know, kind of looking at these, uh, these, these kinds of uh, artistic uh, political production.
2: Mm-hmm. I wonder if some of what you're saying might not help us pull apart um, the term visual activist, mm-hmm. which is the way that Molly refers to herself as opposed to an artist. Um, it's a very conscious decision, I think, to use the term visual activist versus artist. There are a lot of questions that come out of that. One of them is, what is a visual activist versus an artist? And then I think that opens onto a whole another body of thinking about what is the relationship between Maholi's um, practice on an aesthetic level, on a political level, on a personal level, but also on a uh, commercial level, which is, you know, part of the picture. Um, does anybody want to? Make a comment or take a crack on on that. You know, what is a visual activist versus an artist? I
1: mean, I think I think that the, there is a very long tradition of um, artivism. If we could even <laughs> call it like that? And just today, we had, to unfortunately, Helen make it, make it to her um, to her talk, but we had someone in Fabiana Rodriguez, who is a an artivist, and someone who also very much combines uh, combines the two. Um, so, I mean, I think that we've kind of sometimes come to, you know, again, think of art as something that happens in, um, in a gallery or in a museum. But there is such a long tradition, I think, of, of kind of, you know, street art, kind of
5: mm-hmm.
1: um, a political art. And as far as the, co- the, the commercial aspect of um, uh, Mihaly's work is, is concerned, um, you know, she's the... I was actually asking Ashley when the, the documentary came out and you said, I think, 2010. Mm-hmm. She's come a very long way since yes. then. She's now, I would say, world famous. She's being exhibited all around the world. She's selling her photographs for, as you know, because you quite one of her works, for a lot of money. And I personally have absolutely no problem with that. I mean, I think that she, and I mean, you know, I think that there is also a little bit of a um, uh, bias sometimes uh, when we talk about people like uh, miholi who are activists, um, and also, who are black, you know, this kind of assumption that maybe this should be kind of, you know, not really making that, that much money. That, you know, making a lot of money is kind of the privilege of uh, of, white, of white artists. And I, I, I personally feel like she deserves every single, um, you know, penny. And uh, chances are she's probably also, I'm sure, uh, investing the, you know, the money fa- fairly well back into her community. And even if she, is treating herself to expensive <laughs> spa treatments. I have no problem with that either because yeah. she's. She. I think that again we tend to. Uh, I mean, one of my fields of research uh, is African literature, and you know sometimes uh, when uh, with my students we've talked about that that you know we read a, a novel by an African writer and we expect it to be to be we expect it to be about <clears throat> politics and society and 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 oftentimes it is but. It doesn't have to be. I mean, aesthetics is not the, the the you know a realm that's uh reserved for um you know white western um, artists or, or 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 writers. So again, I, I personally have no qualms in terms of I mean I, I think it she completely deserves all the success and mm-hmm. um, and the money that she's <coughs> been that she's been making. Mm-hmm.
4: Okay. So um Nina Simone said that um, you can't call yourself an artist and not reflect the time, um, and so I think that with any good art, it does stir you. I, I'm sorry, because like I don't like um, impressionist paintings because it, people have the privilege to go out in the countryside and paint what is there, um, and often it is on the oppressed to tell a story in any medium that um, we can get our hands on. It's not every time we, we show up um, and make something creative, we all, I think that there's this consciousness that we have to do something to push the community forward. And with the work, um, it hits all of those points. Um, and I think that for me, I am somebody that is really conscious of media and how the image can be used against you or to liberate you. Um, And throughout the Black Lives Matter movement, um, our images are constantly (laughs) used against us. Um, Our words are constantly twisted against us. Um, But then there are these artists, there are these creatives, there are these. forward-thinking political thinkers that they push back. They continuously push back. Um, I remember asking um, Patricia Hill Collins, um, this black feminist um, theorist, one of the forefront, and she was talking about black feminism in the 70s. And I'm just like, how? How did you do this? And she said I had to ignore or filter out anybody that wasn't focused on my vision um, because I had something to do. We have a job to do. Um, And so I very much see that sense of urgency and liberation when I look into the eyes of the artist. Someone as a follow-up.
2: I wonder, Alexander, since since your work with yoga and, Mm -hmm. and your community work around yoga, um, has to do with making a connection between the body and the physical and the mind, um, and how you know the mind um, operates in, in life and society. Um, I wonder what your thoughts are on Maholi's work in that regard, because I am always struck by um, the degree to which portraiture, both her as t- activity as the photographer of a portrait, and also making of the portrait for the person who is being photographed, is a physical activity. And there are many instances in this film, I think if you look across you know, the work, you'd see this a lot of times, but there were particular instances in the film where um, it's clear or it seems evident that there is some kind of healing going on through the process of making it, the photograph and, and being in the photograph. And I wonder whether that struck you at all and you know how you can sort of connect that to, to what you do maybe?
4: So... As we said, representation matters Um, and so particularly, I go into black communities and I create, um, I go into non-traditional spaces and I invite um, people that have been historically denied access to healing spaces, that same access Um, and within that these classes um, are predominantly black um, and this is important because there's this gaze that happens when you're against a white backdrop. Um, there's, this, there's this one piece of art that says, I feel most colored when I'm thrown against a white backdrop. Um, so to be able to take yourself out of the white gaze, to be able to be in fellowship with a community that is trying to figure out how to start a revolution from the inside out um, I think that it is poignant. Um, at some point, um, Maholi talks about negotiating and navigating spaces, mm-hmm. and I think that um, yoga, in some ways, and we all do that, but yoga helps us to do that more intentionally. Um, what are what are the costs of moving in one direction? Mm-hmm. Um, what are the benefits? What do I need to do in this moment to g- even get through this moment? And sometimes in a pose, it's, you don't have to do this. You don't have to do this pose. This isn't for your body if it doesn't feel right. And so then um, what the artist is trying to pull out is that authenticity. And I think what yoga also tries to get to is that, that organic, that natural, um, that same authenticity. Do you think that
2: that is something that, I know this is a thorny territory, but do you think that that sense of authenticity in the body exists somehow outside of representation? Or is that a kind of representation of yourself through your body? Is it before representation?
4: So um, basically it's like, either you can be this archetype and there is this road that no one else has ever embarked upon and that can become really discouraging. Or you could see that there is a long history of people doing this work and that becomes more affirming. Um, So I think that being representation matters, but at the same time the work has to continue, just as queer people have always existed, just as black people have always existed um You even if your voice or story isn't being told you still have to live your life hmm.
2: i wonder if it might be a good time to tackle a question which is one that uh, i am always kind of obsessing over in my own uh, work and that is um, do you think that what moholy's work does would be possible if she were not a member of the community that she is photographing,
3: no. But can you expand? On <laughs> yeah, that? I can tell you why. Because it took me three months to get to be able to to do work with Forum for the empowerment of women for quite a while. Um, Mahalia's background. Uh, she started working for Behind the Mask, a, a, an organization that's featured later in the film. The the editor. It was a website that used to that existed for uh, um, about twelve years, and it documented um, LGBTI. Um, organizing on the continent, African continent more broadly, um, they lost funding. The website went defunct. So she she split off from that organization with her then partner, who is a um, Jamaican woman who had a long history of anti homophobic activism there. And they founded Forum for the Empowerment of Women in the early you know late early two thousands. Um, they started documenting anti lesbian rape and violence. Um, Uh, which uh, is one of the the activists who coined the, it's a problematic term, corrective rape, um, which has been criticized by feminists um, in South Africa and and elsewhere. Um, But one of the, they had, when this phenomenon began getting circulated outside South Africa, there were uh, US, Western European um, journalists coming into South Africa wanting to collect this narratives mm. of broken lesbian women. That's, that's what they wanted, those are the visuals that they wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, I mean, the organization put very strict parameters then on who could have access to the organization, who could have access to these stories and wanting to control, again, these stories that circulated. So it's actually a little dismaying in this film for me to see Millicent Geica. Ian on um, portrayed, right? Um, she actually became the f- public face of a campaign uh, against corrective rape that a Cape Tonian um, black lesbian activist organization called um, Luleke Siswe um, mounted. And again, those images of Gaika's face, right? Um, and, and then, I mean, I appreciated the, you know, the whole restorative mm-hmm. portraits of Gaika after the fact. But still, the, the film is, made, is bridging this um, you know, pr- problem of like, representing violence in a very mm-hmm. particular way. I mean, violence is, 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 is an undercurrent here. I mean, that's Moholy's mm-hmm. M- 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 origins as, a, as an activist in combating, right, um, specifically anti lesbian violence. But again, so I, to answer your question, I don't think she could do this work if she weren't a member of the community.
2: But are you saying that because of because it because of her access to the community and the trust? It's her that she access. Has?
3: It's her. It's her access. It's. I mean, one of the things. You, so you asked, one, what, how is she a visual, visual activist? Mm-hmm. One of the things that she started doing when she was at Forum for the Empowerment of Women was get, was um, offering photography courses. So it's not just, it's, again, teaching people a usable skill, mm-hmm. right, on the one hand. But then it's also arming women with, with cameras in, in townships, right? So if you see somebody with a the camera in the township, right, this is somebody who could document you doing, you know, doing things. Right. I mean, it's, it's putting them on notice. Like, we are, taking, we are capturing your reality as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that, in that regard, I think it's a whole... Um, yeah, I don't think she could get this int- this intimacy and the trust.
1: And if I may also add on to uh, what Ashley says, I think that what's uh, really amazing and, and striking about her work is the fact that it is infused with this sense of intimacy. I mean, it's not just a she's not just document she's not just documenting these li- lives. They also have. I mean, the the portraits are you. I think there's something that very much comes you know comes out of these pictures in terms of. Uh, the connections that she has with these people. But again, I think that there is this kind of like uh, intimate, I don't know how to, what to call it, but this kind of intimate depth, maybe, that's very much part of her work. And I think that is why also her work is so powerful because it has not just this kind of um, documentary, uh, you know, testimonial purpose, mm-hmm. but it is again very uh, kind of like it's completely shaped and informed by the love also that she has for these people and by the love. That she 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 knows exists between these people because so so I think that uh, the from an aesthetic viewpoint I think that the 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 the, these inside Mm. knowledge uh, and personal um, kind of connection that she has with these people is like a kind of inherent part of I mean I think you know I'm Mm -hmm. not an expert in any in any way (laughs) but um, to me it it kind of it's in many ways what the I mean, to use a little bit of a maybe, a, you know, old-fashioned term, a kind of radiance, you know, the aura mm-hmm. of her work kind of comes from. It's this kind of profound, you know, humanity that mm-hmm. she, she, she experiences with, with these people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not just about them. I think she really kind of does the pictures with them. And uh, as she says, she doesn't like to use the word subject. Right. Mm-hmm. Also because... Um, she, a word with many you know, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't really. It doesn't accurately represent. Also, not just the fact that these people are agents, but also the fact mm-hmm. that she has an actual relationship with you right. know, some of these of these people.
2: Right. I think many photographers who work in that sort of space or vein use words like collaborators or participants. Participants is a, I think a common one. I think the reason why I asked this question. Um, there are many reasons. but one of them is that I think that you know throughout the history of photography, it's been this sort of dream and goal that photography as a medium ha- as a as a medium has this power to to foment some kind of authentic and true understanding across boundaries of difference and power. Um, I think it's been uh, it's taken many different shapes over the history of the medium and, and uh many different forms in terms of photographic practices. um but I think it's Probably an open question as to how successful that is when it's practiced in different ways. And then I would say, personally, I notice in, in recent times, there does seem to be this shift towards representation, uh, essentially self-representation, either giving members of one's own community the power to self-represent or making representations where the, the subject matter, in quotations, the participants, it is one's own community. Mm. Um, I've noted that to be a kind of a shift Mm. in the way that um, I suppose you can say a a form of documentary photography is being conducted um, now. And I think that's, you know, you can see that from from practitioners that I think would define themselves as activists, period. You know, they don't have necessarily a self, a desire to define themselves as artists or to function within an art world. Um, But you can also see it among people who definitely define themselves as artists and are finding ways to do their creative work by going to a community and giving the people their cameras and working with those people to sort of shape the imagery that that comes out of that type of work, which I think is a very interesting um, conversation across the the sort of levels of of photographic practice. Um, I think it might be a good idea to open it up to our audience and our our other fellow listeners and, and see if anyone wants to make a contribution or ask a question have one. So um, we are recording this conversation, I should let you know, for um, Art Palace, the Cincinnati Art Museum uh, podcast. So please know that you're being recorded (laughs) as you speak.
5: So thank you all for your insights on this film. Um, My question is most um, pursuant to Professor Mikren-George's observation, but I think all of you have something to say about it. So I was struck um, by the credits at the end, actually, when it turned out that Mohalev was one of the directors of this film, because the aesthetics and the politics of the film are so radically different from the aesthetics and politics of the photographs. Mm-hmm. Right? That the photographs are in this humanist, modernist mode and focused on love, and the documentary is following all the conventions of realist, documentary and focusing on that violence that Dr. Currier was talking about, um, the physical violence, the images of violence, the verbal violence, right? It's not Adam and Eve, it's Adam and Steve, this is not American. Oh, that gets said here too. Um, this is not African, right? That the the levels of violence, <coughs> the family violence, the violence of apartheid, right? That old couple, like oh how nice we were to our slaves. Um I know that was yeah. so I was wondering whether any of you had sort of an explanation or a reaction, or, or just what is that that there is such a radical difference in the aesthetics and the politics mm-hmm. of the film versus what these images do? Um,
1: I, I think I think that there might be a question of audience too. I mean, the, the I think that it seems to me that the documentary. Uh, you know, was made with a kind of uh, audience that was assumed to be a uh, not exactly an ignorant audience, but an audience that obviously did not necessarily know a lot about, you know, what is going on in South Africa. I think the documentary has very much of a kind of educational, you know, pedagogic uh, also function, which is to really kind of educate um, uninformed, um, maybe, you know, Western kind of you know, audiences about what goes on in, in, in South Africa. And I'm not, I'm not saying that the documentary doesn't have any value in South Africa itself, obviously. Uh, but uh, So, you know, I think that the, the the audience for the documentary might have been kind of different from the one that uh, Mihaly, uh used, you know, assumed for her pictures. The other thing is that what I find so interesting about Mihaly's work is precisely the fact that it is uh, a very kind of... Um, shifting, multifaceted, mm-hmm. fluid kind of, you know, she's, she's, she's very much also interested, as you said, you know, in, in self-representation. And if you, you know, you've seen her pictures, uh, the, the documentary doesn't really show a lot of her self-portraits, but she, she, well, it shows the one where she's dressed, for example, as a, you know, with the white maid, uh, mm-hmm. but she presents herself in so many different ways so many different, you know, kind of clothes and poses and 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 personas. Um, And so uh, to me, I would probably kind of uh, also be maybe in a way resistant to kind of like homogenizing her work. I mean, I think she's someone who is interested in real, you know, realism to a certain extent. I think she's also interested in surrealism in a way. She's interested in in poetry and politics. And uh, I think that the documentary might also represent one genre. Among many of the genres that she's kind of tapped into,
3: she's got another short film. I can't remember the name of it. It's a shorter film. I think it's like fifteen or twenty minutes. I could find the information if you were interested, but I don't know that it has that realist baggage that you identify. Um, but I don't know. She, but I don't know what precipitated the shorter film. But I would interpret this particular film as a time at a point in her career where she was. Like, let me explain my body of work to more of an international audience, and it's also a way to gain a foothold within, you know, again, a wider audience in 2010. Yeah,
4: Yeah, and I also think that um, (coughs) portraits give a snapshot into someone's reality. And so then being able to, if you actually leave the, the camera on record, you get to see more of an experience. And so often um, photographs can be beautiful. There is that, um, it reminds me of the Hobby Lobby challenge. There are these people that are going to the flower section of a craft store and they're creating these, these beautiful backdrops. But then if you go to the next, if you actually put the context out, it's in Hobby Lobby. Um, and so then, yes, the portraits are beautiful, but these are the narratives that are attached to the pictures.
2: Do you have any other questions?
6: Well, first of all, I, I'd be kind of interested in your response to her question as a photo curator. Mm-hmm. Um, as one of the poor people up here who could, could deal with that question. Um, and I also just wanted to uh, say that despite the structure of the film and, and as a kind of traditional almost PBS documentary, um, it still worked, you know, it worked for me, I, I, I learned something, and, and uh, had, had some entry into something that I wouldn't have had had I not seen it, so thank you very much for showing it, love to see the short one. She crafted herself more. So. Um, and then, just one observation, which is that photography um, is a medium that has to deal with how light reflects off surfaces, how it functions. And so, I find myself thinking a lot about a theme that came from a, many people speaking uh, that has to do with outside and inside, it has to do with exterior and interior. You know, and, and many of her pictures, you know, especially the ones that might be called nudes, um, skin is really important, you know, both uh, as a sensuous target, if you like, but also metaphorically <coughs> not things like that. So uh, like when one person talks about, you know, outside I look, I look like this, but there's this man living in here as a little problematic, but that's how she expressed it. Anyway, I just wanted to talk about outside inside, exterior interior
2: surface. Um, well, I think in response to your first question, I think I, I, I pretty much share what I understood you to be saying, which is that I, I understand that this documentary to be speaking in a visual language that's related to informing. Um, and less intended to be understood as um, an artwork in a in a fine art way, um, and I think that that serves the, the intended purpose of the film essentially. I mean, I, I also felt that there were moments when, you know, I said, "Oh, please, please don't zoom zoom in on eyes when someone is crying," sort of that kind of moment. Um, but I think, you know, as as you pointed out, Bill. It, the communication ultimately is successful, and that's the function of the visual language. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd just make a comment in relation to your um, uh, your, your second point about um, skin. Um, I certainly think that's extremely important in Maholi's work, and I think just to bring the conversation back to the photograph that is on display upstairs in Gallery 212, since <laughs> <as> I am... <laughs> The photo curator here. Um, I think in in that series held the Dark Lena, she she is extremely um, uh, definitely and carefully in control of the way skin appears in those photographs. And when you look <laughs> at that photograph, the there is a a effort and I, for for reasons which are too complex to explain. I've actually seen you know digital files of that image in other states before the final state, and there is a definite effort in the way the the a conscious effort into the way that the photograph is finally printed, that her skin is dark, very, very dark, you know, almost black. And I think that that is part of um, you know, the way that light plays off her body in that photograph is part of what the series is about, which is to engage and, and interrogate and turn inside out a long history of representing black skin in photography. Um, and I think that she is forcing that issue to the front where you know we as viewers are invited to engage in that kind of delectation of how beautiful that is, but in the process we're being forced to ask questions about what is the history of that, and why why do I find that beautiful? Where where are my implicate? Where's my where am I implicated in that history? And I think that's absolutely part of what she's trying to do with that work. So. Um, Since that is an invitation to go look at the photograph that is in T12, and we still have time to do that, Um, let's, I think, wrap it up there. and, And I'd like to say thank you very much to all of our guests, and thank you all for being here.
0: Thank you for listening to Art Palace. We hope you'll be inspired to come visit the Cincinnati Art Museum and have conversations about the art yourself. General admission to the museum is always free, and we also offer free parking. Special exhibitions on view right now are William Kintridge, More Sweetly Play the Dance, Ragnar Kjartansson, The Visitors and Scenes from Western Culture, and opening April 20th is Terracotta Army, Legacy of the First Emperor of China. For program reservations and more information, visit cincinnatiartmuseum.org. You can follow the museum on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and even join our Art Palace Facebook group. Our theme song is Offrande Musicale by Bacalau, And as always, please rate and review us on iTunes. I'm Russell Eyrig, and this has been Art Palace, produced by the Cincinnati Art Museum.